Good evening, everyone. This is a little caveat on the front of this episode because we had problems on this. There were so many technical issues that happened today. So they've been edited out, but you might hear like it sounds like the episode jumps from one place to another or the sound is affected. That is all because of these like unforeseen technical issues. We will try and do better next time. I'm not really sure what happened yet still, but just wanted to give you a heads up as you're listening to this, maybe on the way to work or, or something like that. So um, with that, we'll jump right into the episode. Thanks for being here, gang. Peace. Just publicly shout out Steph Shook for uh, like, for someone that I know a little bit and know the world, like the shift your life has sh- taken in the last few years and like how you have really, like it comes across to me that you're really coming out on top, that you're really transforming and growing and growing and growing um in such a inspiring way mm-hmm. uh yeah just is it is noticed in all different kind of aspects but um yeah so awesome i'm just glad that you're a part of of what we're doing here so with that um thank you for anyone that's here right maybe this is your first time maybe you've been here before but this is what you need to know right All we're doing is answering questions. You throw out a question, I'll answer a question about anything. Sometimes Not So Secret Wife chimes in. And then sometimes you're going to get other people in the chat. And this, I think this is slightly off-putting maybe to people sometimes when they're, when they're new here, where they're like, wait, why are, why are other people speaking to this? I don't think it's off-putting. You don't think think so? I I think people appreciate it. I I hope they do. I mean, it is. We'll never know, really. We say. teaching is a communal activity, right? So like something we're doing together. And so it's not just the, uh, the talking head show here. It's although, man, that would be, man, that name's already taken. It's just a good name. Um, it's my pants because this is real. All right. So if you have a question, put a Q in front of it or the word question would help be helpful, but not necessary. And, um, that's it. Ready to get started? I'm ready. Let's hit it. All right. Mallory is up first asking, how do I juggle teaching during sixth season with flu, RSV, strep, COVID? Our family has been sick for two months straight. Um, It's a continued one. She says, I've used all my sick days and I feel like I am at my breaking point. So, all right. There's a couple sides to this. One, Mallory, the last thing that I would say is, um, going, speaking to your administration and letting them know, like, what's going on that, you know, the, the story that you've been sick, that your family's been sick, that the kids are coming home sick, that it's using up your sick days. We have done, I've done, you know, it kind of depends on your school, but we've done every different version in the past than, um, to, we'll get to it in a second. Let me just answer her question because i feel like it's going to take me 15 minutes um i've done things in the past from like administrators have just said just take the day it doesn't even matter like it's not even going to count towards your your days off or something like that i've had moments where we as a team knew that someone uh, was really going through something horrendous and we just piled our sick everyone like donated a sick day because we knew that like i'm not like and this is something I would do now at my age now with having teenagers, they just don't get sick like that. So I'd gladly give up a few of my sick days to help a friend out at school. So there's, there's versions of that. 
But I think it's going to your school leadership and saying like, look, I don't know what to do. I'm going to burn out. I'm, all I do is deal with sick people all the time. And this is what's going on. Paint the picture for them and let them give them the opportunity to respond to that. Don't feel like you have to figure it out. But if you need days, I mean, take them. But I understand that schools will occasionally and or eventually um, deal with like they they will start docking you time. But I think I feel like this is one of those moments where if you go to HR and ask them, um, how could they dock you days? It's not like you're just screwing around or something like that. So that's what I would do. I'd, I'd ask, see what their answer is. And then um, if you don't get the answer, you like come back with that answer and we can help you figure that out too. Um, Steph in the comments said to check on like FMLA, like family. Oh yeah. Medical leave. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And see if, like, yeah, that's a great answer. Gather a couple days through there at least. Because it's terrible that you're literally burning through all of your personal days yeah. for that. I mean, it's understandable. Like when sickness runs, I just remember those days when it runs through the family. Yeah. It's tough. That's horrible. And even if it's just your kids getting sick, you might as well be sick because all you're doing is holding sick babies on the couch and watching six hours of Little Bear. Um, okay, are you ready for our next question? Yeah. I can't pop it up there, and that one's stuck up there. So oh, okay. This Hit is it. not working, but uh, Sama, Sama um, yep. asks, how do I manage a very chatty class? So I, we have a ton of videos on this sort of thing. If you just um, – so one of the things – I'm going to answer this question anyway, but if you go to our YouTube channel or any YouTube channel that you that you follow – and you go to it on a desktop, meaning not on your phone, up top where it says like channel, about, videos, lives, all that stuff, there's a search bar and you can search their channel and it's just Google searching their channel. So just put in classroom management or talkative or something like that and something's going to pop up. Um, I think it kind of, for me, depends on when they're chatty and it and it's, it's switching a couple of simple things, right? So one of those simple things would be um, it, thinking about things like, is it, is it a problem when they're talking, right? Which might be a no duh, but is it a problem when they're talking? If it is a problem because you're trying to give directions, letting them know how much time you need for directions. All right, y'all listen up. I need your attention back. And I always counted down, right? I, I felt like this was so foolish when I started doing it, but I saw a friend of mine do it and it worked. And I'd rather be, I'd rather have attention than be cool. So that was for me. So it's, I need your attention. Four, three, two. Thank you very much. I need 30 seconds to give you directions. I need 60 seconds. I need two minutes, whatever it is. You're giving them the end point. Some teachers go on forever. They talk for 20 minutes, 40 minutes, the whole class. And there's no break. It just keeps going on and on and on. So letting them know when you're going to stop, letting them know how long they have to do an assignment. So putting that timer on or, or keeping a strict like countdown, letting them know, all right, you have 10 minutes to complete this. You have four more minutes left. You have three more minutes left. I'm collecting papers in two minutes. Is not meant to upset kids. It's meant rather to help kids to understand that like you do not have forever. Then when you, when that timer's up, Unless a student has like, um, 
has like some sort of IEP or they have a, like they were really trying and you saw it was just going to take them a few more minutes. That's different. But if someone was goofing around, now you keep it to that 10 minute mark to when I said I'm collecting it, I'm collecting it. Then you collect it and they will learn the next time. If they freak out about it, it's just reminding them, look, I really want y'all to do the best that you can in the time that you have given. And so this, you know, if you do the next assignment, like it's going to even these out. This isn't the be all end all right here. So you don't have to freak out about it. You learned, take that loss like a boss. And then next time you're going to show back up and, and do better. The other thing I think is like looking at kids directly. It's directly addressing the behavior. And I have, um, I think there was a video that just came out that talked about like asking kids if they're refusing to do work. That's probably a really good one. To, so not the last, the last one was a write-up one. I think it was the video right before that, uh, that I forget what it was called. That's the one I would go check out. And that's going to walk you through like this. Quick question. Can I restart this? Will that mess this speed up? I don't think so. Because I, don't I only have one way to look at comment. Like, oh, well, they're finally reacting because I was trying to. Okay. Sorry, guys. <laughs> Let's see if that works. Can you give me another question? I can. As soon as I can find it, I got to go back. Um, Okay, here we go. Just me is asking, how do you de-escalate fights? I was caught in the middle of a girl fight and the keys around my neck got caught in one of the girl's hair. Now oh. everyone thinks I was pulling her hair. Oh my gosh, I could only imagine, especially with teenagers, like the drama that that probably started flying and the little rumors that ensued. <laughs> First of all, one. Oh, great, thank you. Uh, the idea that a teacher would pull a child's hair is borderline hilarious. Yeah, but middle school, high school, like um, they're gonna see that and go, yo, like it's I probably, drama. I would, I'm not telling anyone to do this. I know that I would be like, I know exactly hey, what you would do. Might have been. You would ride that rumor. <laughs> might have been doing that. Just I'm just living off that street cred right there. That's what I'm doing. The, I think it's, um. You know, there's a hundred ways to do like, like, listen, I've been in a lot of fights. I don't pull hair. So it's like, it's like not even my thing. Like, I don't, that's not even my trademark. Um, I go full fake karate. That's what I used to tell kids. They're like, you know, karate runs. I know fake karate, which is just you pretending to do karate, which I think is more terrifying than someone that actually knows karate. Um, I think one breaking up fights is just hard. There, we have, I've had training on this and I would, I, if this is a persistent problem or, a or rather something that happens regularly in your class, I would have someone come in and, and train you all because especially I find that like th there can be huge issues when men are trying to break up uh, girl fights because it's how am I going to do this without you know, going somewhere I'm not supposed to be going, right? So it's like, it's very difficult. I remember back when I taught co-ed classes and especially girl fights where I, they were just gnarlier than boy fights were. Um, so it is walking folks through, how do you do this? What's the, like, what are the best 
practices? Do we have a, a plan in place for when this goes down? Because even when you get really big students, like I remember one time I had a class and I had the football team and the basketball team all in the same class. I had 35 students, seniors in a class. And these two guys were going to fight. And I said, I just want to let you all know before you do this, I am not breaking this up. So if you're going to fight, you better be ready to throw down like, like you were built for this. And I just, they just looked at me and I'm like, no, it's just like breaking up two bears. Like you both are so big. Uh, I can't fight a bear. And it worked, but it's, I, I would talk to your school about some de-escalation sort of moments de-escalating a child that is mad at me that looks like they want to fight me that i can do de-escalating fights where it's two people because now everyone's looking at you now everyone's phones out now this is going to show up on social media now there's all these other factors and unless i fight i look weak and so there's all that and when kids get in that zone it's almost like they have blinders onto the rest of the world they can't see or hear anything else they just know that their reputation or their protection is on the line and it's going to happen so it's i think that it's having a conversation with your school about what are best practices for how we're going to be able to do this because look i mean some teachers are big enough to break up fights and some aren't um and some of us just get too old. That's like, I'm not getting hurt. Like, this is like, y'all want to do this, go for it. But I'm not getting, I'm not putting myself in danger. I've known too many people I've gotten permanently injured from stuff like that. Like people have gotten hit with desks and had to get back surgery and neck surgery. And were like really jacked up from it. Um, so, yeah. So my advice is this is an administrative call. And it's something that needs to be addressed so that the whole school, even if this is something that happens once a year, our job is part of our job is protecting these kids and we need to be able to sometimes be able to protect them from themselves. So like, what are we doing? What's the training? How are we working on this together? I remember when you first started at uh, BL students came in there and they were, they were like double your size. Yeah. And I remember saying to you, like, what are you going to do if they yeah. get a fight? Like you can't break these. Like if it's two of two boys of that size, like those football players, I'm like, <laughs> I don't know I, how successful you're I told, on that one. So first student we ever met was Omar Diawara, walked into the classroom when we were putting oh, stuff we're, up. Yeah, that's that day. Who was my student, yeah. who then later became my coworker, oh. who now works in Kensington. Um and I tell him all I'm like, bro, I remember you walked in the room, my wife was like, That is a man. No, <laughs> that is not a freshman. It's a whole man that just walked in your room. I'm like, yep. Yeah. Uh, okay. All right. Your next question is, we're going backwards from PK. PK? Uh, I hope I said that right. I apologize if I did not. Um, how do you deal with a student who has oppositional defiant disorder? So ODD, they don't do well with authority. So I think this is another, this is another best practice. So I'm going to tell you what I would do, but it's really pushing hard if you're not getting answers from your special education department on this, because this is something that like, at, so the reason I didn't follow what my special education department ever had was because oftentimes the answers were weak and they weren't, they were useless, but like really. Uh, and 
because I think there has to be some real strategy around this. And I think that strategy needs to look like members of the special education department sitting down with the school psychologist or therapist, the social worker and the student and coming up with a cohesive plan of when this happens, when you start feeling the feelings, student, what are you going to do? What can the teacher do? What are we in a agreement with to help you through this? It's instilling in that child over and over and over again, too, that they are important. And that's why we're doing this. So because my school never did a particularly good job of this, similar to um, my, I saw I had a video last week, I think it's the same one I referenced earlier, but like, it's like, what do you do with, oh, kicking kids out of class is what it was about. And so I'm not about removing kids from class to get them out of my hair, to give them their problems to someone else, because you don't, like, I'm not trying to keep an education from anyone, I, but I am certainly about removing kids from class. But there was a plan in place. There was a structure. There was something that happened as soon as that child was out in, in hopes to help them rewrite the situation, like recalibrate, and then bring them back in the class as quickly as possible. I think this is no different. It is having um, where is what's the best place for this child to sit? What are their triggers? What sets them off? Helping teachers to understand that they might have to talk to this child in the most calm voice, even though they are livid with them about whatever is happening in class. So being able to use language that they're going to understand. And so it's also remembering that, you know, kids, no one wants to be like this. It's just, it's hard. And if you think about any time that you feel an overwhelming feeling of sadness, of depression, of your own anger, and how hard it is for you as an adult to jump back out of that or to deal with that or to show up and, and still be an active participant in life when you're feeling like that, how much harder is it for a kid that has not learned to process yet? So for me, those situations always dealt with things were very consistent, keeping very calm with the student, allowing them to step out if they needed to, allowing them to sit in the back if they needed to, reminding them what the repercussions were going to be, but then also reminding them constantly, constantly, constantly of how important they were, how much I wanted them to succeed, how great, like trying to find even, and some kids are not as easy as others. Some kids are easy to find greatness in and, and, and affirm them. Um, and other kids are, are tough. It's like, man, look at you. You have, you remember pants today. Like that's the, that's the best I could think of right now. Right. Um, but it's looking for those clues and then affirming those children regularly, even though it can feel like babying. It can feel like, gosh, this kid is just, it's a black hole of your attention, but knowing that you're, you're not feeling an endless void there, but these are kids that need something different. So one of the ways that that looks like, I was talking to a mentee about this yesterday, is that uh, constantly affirming someone could look like putting a sticker on them, giving them half a sticker and letting them know that they're doing a pretty good job. And if you want, you know, so right now you got the ass end of that squirrel, but if you want the, the whole squirrel, keep going, I'll give you the other sticker. It's sprinkling confetti on kids. It's just letting them know, hey, listen, real quick just real quick, you're doing a great job today. And I don't think I told you that yet. And I'm really proud of you. I know that this is not always easy for you, um, but I just think you're awesome. And thanks, thanks. I see your effort. 
That's it. Then I walk away. Sometimes writing that on a note if you think it's going to be awkward for a kid. Sometimes it's holding them after class and saying it to a student. Sometimes it's pulling them aside in the hallway because you saw them hold the door for someone else, let someone else in. Yo, come here, real quick. Come here. Come here. Holding the door for someone? I'm just saying. It's a little thing, but it means a lot. And I saw it. And I just want you to know that I think that's awesome. Just little stuff like that all the time. You're just, that's what sprinkling magic is. It's walking around your school and being a light to those that, that are feeling a little dark on the outside or on the inside. Um, he said no, no SPED department. So in that case, I really think it's up to, because they're a small private school, which I find to be really common. Like I think people, parents send their kids there with intention because it's safe, it's smaller, like in hopes that it's a good fit for their kid because public school might not always be the best fit. Um, but then when you lack a SPED department, how do you deal with the things that these kids need? And I think it, it, you have to rally, like it's the community, like teaching part. It's like really yes. like learning, whether it's the primary teacher or someone else, but learning about the disability that your student has, and then kind of sharing those articles, the information, whatever you come across as a learning tool, but sending it out to the other teachers to let them know kind of like, here's, or even asking <clears throat> I think the parents and say like, hey, did when you got this diagnosis from your neurologist, did they give any sort of recommendation on how to handle this? Because yep. I know our daughter got a diagnosis for, um, it's called CAPD, which is central auditory processing. And they gave like a ton of um, ways to like modify to help. And so we passed that along to the special ed department and said, these are ways, tips and tricks yep. to kind of like help mitigate these issues. So it's like, just even reaching out to mom to see if they got specific advice on how to handle that. And then I think just doing a lot of research on your own. Another step you could take, and this is something I would talk about as a team first before I would just do it is I, we would also bring other students in sometimes. And like I said, this, this, so this is done with approval from a parent and things like that. But I mean, I would put my guy Danzler. Danzler was, they called him the giant killer. Um, did you know this? Yeah, this is nickname in high yeah. school. Because he was so good at on the wrestling team, and no matter who the biggest kid, like whoever's whatever their Samson was going to be on the other team, they would be like, "Don't even worry, the giant killer's on this," because he could take down like these giant dudes. So um, he was such a gentle spirit, though, but mm -hmm. such a big personality, and was so loved in the school that if I knew a freshman was having a hard time, Danzler was one of my guys that I would go to and be like, "Yo, bro." Listen, see this kid over here, his name's Kevin. Just say what's up to him in the hallway or just give him a pound when you see him going in the class or something like that. Like you don't have to be his friend, but it's public acknowledgement. And then sometimes those younger students will gravitate more towards the older students than they will towards an adult. And when those kids are having a hard time, they can seek out like Danzo just be like, it's all right, man, just chill. Like come just sit with me for a minute. And Danzo didn't like give advice or anything, but he'd just be like, Hey, listen, it's all right. You're here with me now. Just chill. And that was like his point person. And I used Danzler for that and a number of guys for that for ages. Um, okay, John Fox is up next. I'm Johnny Fox. Finally put these back up here. Uh, asking, my school is pushing for getting every student engaged, though about giving a student a job for one student to keep a check mark for everyone's. These do not work in my ears. Your Sorry. Uh, for everyone's participation, so, at least. We're really, we're really trying today. At least once during a lesson, he said. Good idea, bad idea. 
uh, better ways to do it. Thoughts on the system? I, you know, John, I think it's a, it's, it's a great idea. However, sometimes when we homogenize these things, they lose their magic. So I think it's in the back of your head. Are you regularly doing this? That's a great idea. Now to say it has to happen every day, I think that's where we start going wrong with certain stuff. Like, um, because it can be, it's another thing to plan. And so I would want not two or three examples from my administration. It's like, whoever came up with this idea, come up with the idea and come up with the implementation, right? We don't just need dreams all the time. We need how we're going to make these dreams happen. And that is where the rubber meets the road. And that can be the difficult time sometimes. So it's teachers get enough um, ideas from others. They get enough, like, here's what we should do or could do, or this is what we'd like you to start doing. And it's like, show me how that works um, so I can start implementing it. But it's sort of like when, you know, folks use Classroom Dojo. And I know that works really well with younger kids. We try to use it in the high school and I just refuse to do it. It was like, the kids weren't interested. They didn't care. It was too hard. I, I cannot, I don't have that ability to do that many things. So I can't be like teaching and doing classroom management and all the stuff I'm doing. Oh, and I'm putting points in on this iPad also, or on my, I didn't even have an iPad. I had a computer. Um, it was like, this is too much. I can't do this. So um, it's, I think it's a good idea in theory. So depending on your school, John, like, my school always came up with ideas and then they never, there was no follow through. So I would, and people would get mad at me all the time because they'd come up with a new, they're like, Oh, every teacher has to do a portfolio. It's going to be due at the end of the year. And I remember sitting there in those meetings going, I'm not doing this. And I wouldn't do it. And everyone would be like, no, they're going to do it. They're really going to check them at the end of the year. Oh my gosh, you're going to get in so much trouble. Then I wouldn't do it. Then they never collect them at the end of the year. They never do it. And then I would just get hate because people, because I'm like, told you it was dumb. Told you we weren't going to do it. There's too many things going on. So it's go along with it. Um, if you can't go as hard, don't, but don't let it. Teaching's got to come first. Connecting with kids has to come first. Making sure students understand what's going on. Like if kids aren't finding success because I have to put too much focus into this. So I, here's what it is. The student, every, education's only ever about the students. So the lesson is so important that I'll try this, but not at the cost of having my lesson go wrong. I'm just that I'm not going to do because I want kids to win. I don't want it to just look like we're winning. I'm not, I'm not interested in that. Um, Paris is up next asking, I'm having trouble with students not contributing with group projects. There are group roles in the rubric, but students still aren't helping they can't make, uh, they can't make this up because it's a lab. What can I do? So one is it's one, if kids can't handle group work, there's a couple of things there. If you're letting them pick their groups, don't let them pick their groups. Like you have to pick it for them. Um, if kids can handle it, I think they should have the freedom to be able to work with who they want. Also don't pick kids that aren't doing anything and put them with kids that are like, oh, we picked our own group and there's three of us and we're working really well. And then like you throw, throw someone in there that it's like, 
as a kid that like I was that kid that always had good groups and I see this in my daughter also where she's like they always put bad kids with us they always put like the worst behavior kid with us she's literally in a group right now and I think it's two out of the four that are doing their work and I think the teacher's response in the classroom was you can just if you feel like people in your group aren't pulling their weight or participating you can just pull off and do it by yourself so yeah. she's like what do I do and I just well pull off and do yeah. it by yourself and so you really can't get your partners to participate which is weird because yeah, learning how to work as a group and even learning how to work with people that you don't always agree with and that don't pull their weight that's real life right um as teachers we know this we we've been part of groups in something where it's like, oh my gosh, I'm with Dave again. And Dave sucks. He's basically like never even awake. Um, so it's, I think that's part of it. The other part is um, I've had kids grade each other. So it's like, here's the pool of points. If there's four people in a group. So one of them is maybe have smaller groups too, right? Have three kids. That fourth kid doesn't do friggin' anything. Even if it's four smart kids, it's just like too many brains in one, one pile. So it's having three kids instead having um, them grade each other. So if, if I do have four kids, right, the most you can get is 25 points each, right? And that's going to be a part of the rubric, but each person anonymously p- figures out like how much of this percentage goes to each of the people in the group. So if someone didn't do a good job, they just get a lesser grade and they don't even know who gave them what points. Right. So it's not even like a kid, like if they're shy and someone in there is like a strong personality, they don't have to like um, let that strong personality know that they gave them lesser points. I think it's also giving them grades more regularly. So there have been groups where, all right, this is what your group, this is what's due today. So it's not just at the end of the week or at the end of the three-day lab or the two-week project. It's each day I'm giving grades or I'm having students grade themselves. So there's some, there's a deliverable. So every time we have a project, there are so many levels to the project because I want to make these like achievable wins that I can continue to grade as we go. So it's like maybe you're, basic outline then it's your final outline then it's your rough draft then it's your final draft then it's like your presentation there's all these different levels so making more deliverables so you're constantly giving feedback so that kid that's not doing anything doesn't have to wait to the end of the lab to see that their grade sucks they see at the end of the first day or maybe they hand stuff in the first day and something simple i mean it can be really really something easy you know look at your project What's a basic deliverable that you could grade almost instantaneously that the next day when they come in, they see, okay, where are we on day two? And wait, why do I only have a 5%? Why am I failing so bad? Well, because this, 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 and this. And then I, the other thing is, but let me paint the picture of what the good would look like today. Not just do your work, not try harder, not stop screwing around today. If you do this and this, your grade will go to this grade. That's it. You only have to do this and this. This is something we're going to talk about in our next um, workshop about student engagement. It's classroom management, but through the lens of student engagement, it's called the law of least effort. And it's how to make it like the deliverables that have kids have to do so small, especially for really low performing kids. It's like, how do you go from having a five in class to having a 40, right? That's a big jump. 
but you're st- and you're still failing, but it's like, how do we start building momentum? How do we start scaling up? How do we start building in what's called the law of least effort so that kids can feel like they can do it? I think that's something I would consider doing in that class as well. All right, teaching with Mr. Hayes is up next. Oh boy, I've been uh, competing against myself to make lessons as engaging as possible. Nice. Feel like it's hard to maintain tips to stop that but still make things engaging worry that it will backfire so Hayes, i think um one of the things is every day doesn't have to be like the circus in your class not every day is the most remarkable awesome and crazy insane thing so even um if you read dave burgess's book teach like a pirate uh, and even, I mean, I've gotten to, I've had the privilege of getting to know Dave and talking to him about this. There's this disconnect where folks think that like every day that Burgess was going in the class, he was, it was enormous amounts of, of effort and razzle dazzle and all the stuff, room transformations every single day. And it wasn't the case. Room transformations maybe happened once a quarter, um, but it was, what are small ways that we can build, it's like building in moments in your class. So I think that's part of it really. So if I think about that for my class, it was every day you come in and it's basically the same thing. I mean, it's the vibe, right? I'm trying to build a consistency. I'm trying to get kids to come down from being in the hallway, from being in lunch, from being in recess, from being in another class that was crazy and just like bring that level down. So we're starting on chill. So it's being mindful of my lights, being mindful of the music that's on, being mindful of the smell, being mindful that everything's cleaned up and set up and, uh, and the kids know exactly where to go as soon as they come in. And then it's jumping right in the journal entry, which is a, like a, is a total cerebral activity. So it's like trying to get kids to, I need them to calm so they can think, so they can execute on what we're doing. Then we started doing things like, so how do we, how do we sprinkle magic on this? We start playing music over what we were doing. So over journal entries that kids were reading, I'd play music that matched what they were doing, right? Very, very simple thing. They're still doing the same assignment. I'm dialing it up. When we read, maybe we're changing the lights. Maybe we're bringing out costume pieces. Maybe we're acting it out. Maybe part of the room is like set up as a set, but it's like these very simple shifts. Cause I'm not about ever really necessarily doing more it's about doing different and what are these small shifts they're going to have a big change on what we're doing and that's how i think of it so it's something that's scalable and it's something that's repeatable so some of those things like so if we're reading a book um or a play like so if you take a book and we read it as a play i have kids that do sound effects and they do the same thing every day, but it never gets old. You have a computer or I give you like a couple of things that you can make sound effects with, or you're on your desk making it sound like a horse or you're neighing because like they heard a horn in the, in the distance and someone's like, and it's just never gets old, right? So you're looking for moments. If there was a, there's a part in Merchant of Venice where there's this guy that has to sing a thing at the end. He's like singing while the action's going on and they have the song in the book and it's super lame, but I would have all the dudes sing it together. And then we put on like some swanky music or someone like keep a, like a, like drop a beat on their desk. Or I had one year, I had a kid that was awesome at beatboxing. And I'm like, yo, Eric, drop a beat, man. Give us some beatbox. And then, so he would, 
bust out a beat and then everyone would start clapping and then we all sang it along. We didn't have to do anything. I didn't even plan that, right? You're looking for opportunities for magic, not always planning for opportunities. This is why it's so important for you to come in being ready and having that toolbox of things you just pull out, like you're the, the carrot top of education. And that, that's, which is why I have multiple boxes in my classroom labeled weird stuff. Uh, because I would just go, I would see something about to happen or know it's coming up. I'm like, oh man, I got an idea for that. Pull some weird crap and bust it out. And then that's how you, that's, that's how you make it consistent. Um, but it's, it's those small moments. It's not always the big over the top things that, that make things engaging. Yes. Uh, I just want to say our next comment or question is from Piano Boy and I've read it all already and I love this. This is so exciting. So let me read it. Uh, he says, hi Reynolds. I have returned from another odyssey. I have had excellent years of teaching currently in my fourth year, which that I can't believe. Can we, I remember. Can we say we, Piano Boy has been around. So first of all, I talked to him on the phone, maybe once more, maybe more than once. And I only ever call him Piano Boy, right? It's like, I'm, it's like, I know you have a name. doesn't matter. Um, but we've known him since he was in college. Yeah, for teaching. Uh, he said, Love it. Uh, and I have been recognized nationally and achieved a tremendous institute Bro. opportunities as a young teacher with what I have accomplished so far. What would you suggest I try to do next to further my skills? I'm in my MA for... Uh, American history through Gettysburg College. I credit a lot of my young expertise to your content. Helped me tremendously before and during student teaching and in my full-time teaching. I'm proud to be an OG subscriber. You are an OG, you man. You are. When we, well, um, that's why I just, that little thread just makes me so happy because I remember when he was on Sunday Night Teacher Talk all the time and did mentoring with you and did all this stuff like prior to even becoming a teacher yeah. and he has had i think his first year like teaching was covid and he had a great year like it's just i love hearing that yeah super excited for you congrats I, for me so first of all pal like congratulations that is it's remarkable and i can't like even congratulate you enough um it's it's incredible. This is hard work to do and you're always showing up and you're always doing it. Um, and I just love it, man. I think <clears throat> if I was to grow more, I think where some of the growing happens in becoming the next, so we're always getting better. And one of my, my favorite mentors of all time is guy Rafe ethics with, once I was, I got, had a real privilege to talk. I'm not just trying to drop names today, but maybe I am. Um, he, I had the chance to talk with him and uh, he said that he doesn't think he started becoming the teacher he was really meant to be until he was 20 years in. Or, no, not tw quite 20. It, it might've been like 12 or 13, somewhere yeah. around there. He thought like, that's when he really leveled up. And the, the common thread I see in those folks is that one, they are always finding ways to make things new and they're always getting better. So they're never doing, they're never like just using all the old tricks, right? There's nothing sadder than, and I love, I love comedy and I watch tons of documentaries about comedy. And it's interesting to hear comedians talk about how sad it is to see like there's 
this one guy, he works on a cruise ship and he's been using that same set. He's been doing that same set of jokes for 20 years, right? Instead of the person that like, like every year or so, it's a completely new set. Every time you see them, it's something completely new. I think teaching is largely the same way. There's going to be things that worked, but then we can't just rely on that, those same tricks to, to be able to do it the next time. That's one. Two is, I think, becoming the person that is going to be able to pull off some of the next stuff that you're going to do. So early me could never have taken students to other places in the world, could never have taken some of the class. I mean, I've taken some, turned in some little bit, a little bit dicey class trips. Didn't expect it like that. But like, if you read my book and you get to New York city and someone brings a giant bag of weed with them. And now you're like, what do I do now? I had to, now, now I wouldn't say I was completely prepared for that. Cause I, I wasn't, it was like, Oof, man, and, but that's the story that's in the book. Um, but it's the, what do I like being, being prepared enough to be able to handle that being prepared enough to be able to try something fun, crazy, outrageous, unbelievable in class. And then when things aren't going right with a couple of students being able to still, I'm still DJing and still handling that situation, then jumping back on the turntables again. Right. Um, so that's part of it too. And I think the other part really, um, is learning more about learning, learning more about how kids learn, how they grow, what's important to them. Like learning a lot of that, the psychology of that is just going to make you a better teacher because I can, I already know that you're someone that loves their subject matter. Like for those of y'all that don't know piano boy, like he teaches U.S. history, but then he spends his summers going to like Gettysburg and, and I think he dresses up and stuff like that and does the reenactments. He's like, he's like immersed in the world of history. So it's how do I, it's learning the psychology of how do I bring this to life and why is that working on certain students? So then you're really impacting your, your classroom because you're, you know, your kids on all different levels. All right. Well, our next question is from Sprinkle the Magic. Oh, yeah. I love that name. Uh, asking, how would you deal with a couple of students that have that have conversations about personal matters during instructional time and they refuse to stop? Um, you either stop or you got to go. Like that's that's so here. So this is my kicking kids out of class video, and it's my write up video. So the, both of my last two videos is where I would refer you to. But in short, it is. <clears throat> We have to remember that when we removed and this, look, there's going to be people that don't agree with this and I'd be more than willing to have the conversation. But in my experience, you have 30 kids in a class, two kids refuse to settle down or they keep talking about something, whether that's, you know, pick your poison, right? It's drug use, it's sex, it's beating people up, it's vandalism, it's whatever it is. And you won't chill the reason you're leaving is not because of nest, just because of what you're talking about. It's because you talking about this is one, it's making, trying to normalize it. I'm not trying to normalize this behavior in my classroom. I think it's deplorable and I don't think that should happen. Right. And our values as a school support that. So this isn't just like Reynolds personal values. And it's like, you know, like this is, you don't go against Reynolds 10 commandments or something like that. Um, 
but it's also you're distracting others and you're not finding success in what we're doing. So what, so the first thing is you're talking and not doing the work. So whatever you're talking about is almost irrelevant because the fact of the matter is, is that you're not finding success and you are distracting other students from being able to find success. Two, you're talking about stuff that's inappropriate. And although in some kids' lives, certain things are normalized, right? Like you might have 12 year olds that their parents talk to them about sex. They're allowed to watch any movie that they want. They're allowed to watch any TikTok that they want. They have their own phone and Lord knows what they're looking at on there. But then there's other kids who are not there yet. They're still just kids when they're 12. And so they haven't been exposed to the level of, of pornography or gun violence or, or whatever it is that, that you are at least fronting that you know about. So I need to put that, like that needs to stop also because here's what's going to happen. You're going to have, uh, you know, Michael comes from a family where they don't do that stuff and, and they don't talk about that stuff and they're not there yet. And like Michael's still playing with toys and stuff like that. Then you have another kid who's the youngest brother in a family and porn's okay. Right. Or whatever, whatever that thing is, is okay. And then they're talking about that. Good luck when Michael's mom calls up the school, because then you're held accountable for it also. So it's, I think it's putting those students out and, letting administration know like we need to have a conversation around this of what is appropriate and inappropriate for the classroom and why um that's that's just where i would take it it's like if you can't if i have to remind you three times it's a wrap that's how it is in my classroom um because i'm very straightforward with students it's calling them out keep them after class if you have to if you want to do that and you can have that conversation first but it's finding some people to help you with that in your in your school and and not letting other, we have to remember, classroom management isn't just about keeping kids under control. It's about helping students to control themselves so that everyone can do a good job because classes are large and kids need quiet. They need time to focus, to process, to talk to their partner. And when all of a sudden over here, it's like sex, guns, and violence, it's like, oh, that's, that's way more interesting than whatever we're reading right here. So we all got going on. So those are my thoughts. All right. Uh, kick and kicks, I think that is. That's cool. Yeah. Uh, if you had... If you, you sounded had... so old. When you're like, <laughs> you're like, oh, that's cool. That's nifty. <laughs> if you had superpower realms, what powers would you have? Um, <clears throat> I'm afraid of heights. Uh, gosh, what superpower would I have? There's a lot that I, it like comes to mind that I go, ooh, I would want that. And then I'm like, no, I wouldn't want that. <laughs> no, I think it's like, there's stuff that would be fun, but it's like, what would be the best for you? Like, I already don't take my time enough. So if I could just work like the flash, it would probably be detrimental to me, yeah. right? Like that would not be a good one. I'm afraid of heights. Uh, maybe, fly, I mean, flying is just kind of cool. The first thing that comes to mind, I want to be able to read minds. Then I'm like, eh. no. <laughs> like, then you'd yeah. be like, yo, what'd you say? Like, right? I didn't say anything. I heard you. Sorry enough to not deal with Yeah, it. we already have comments on YouTube. It's like, we don't need that. Um, I I think... Flying. I get places really fast. I don't like, pay for airline tickets. Yeah. Like, let's just, pretty simple. Flying. It gets cold up there, though. You get too cold too easily. It would be or a nightmare. A sweater. You'd be like, who's that? 
It's a lady with multiple <laughs> layers. It's a bird. It's a plane. It's a, it's a <laughs> laundry basket. Uh, I'm going to go. This is going to sound so cheesy. I really think this is so, I'm going to say it anyway. Um, I think being able to really love people would be a superpower. Because if you think about that, that man, that's scoring some points. Um, so I think you think of how much not being able to empathize someone with someone, uh, sympathize with someone to let things go. Uh, to, when you get angry about stuff to just be able to really love people and love people can look like tough love too, but being able to do that so effectively, um, it would just make your world peaceful, more peaceful. So would it be as fun? Like I'm just out here loving, you know, like I'm a care bear. Um, I don't know if that's that fun, but yeah, that I think are just like uncommon athletic ability, which I don't, I don't possess. So everyone knows that friend that like, when we were kids and we'd try to Ollie and it was like, cool. Tom could just, he would be like, I Oh, I didn't even, I, you learn you're learning Ollie's. I just did a kickflip on the first chance. Right. Like, like he's just naturally skilled. Just at could, everything, yeah. Like. Yeah. He's still like that. Yes. He he's ridiculous. All right. Uh, That's why his name's cool. Tom. Anyway. Up next asking, hi, Mr. Reynolds. Is there anything that teachers can do to help teach students how to potentially regulate uh, their emotions. I have noticed that many of our youth are quick to go from zero to hundred. Yeah. So there this is, is I have a video um, with a friend of mine, Dr. Keisha, who she talks about in the video, how to deescalate, how students can deescalate. Um, and it's, it's a, it's a lot of noticing what's happening in your body. We think of like, I don't think it's zero to a hundred. I think things look like zero to a hundred. I think that there were, so think about this, Sonia, I heard a study several years ago that said, we know, so especially those of us, I've tried to really change this since we've been living out here in New Mexico, but in Philly, I am, we call bliss to pissed in, in no time. Right. Uh, why is this? Is that me? Did I do something? I think, I, I don't know. Who knows what's happening now? I hope everyone can still hear us. Um, if you just joined, we have been having any number of technical issues today. So when you're driving your car, the reason that it looks like you're going from bliss to piss in no time is that on a scale from zero to 10, you're already at a seven when you're driving a car, because there's so many things to pay attention to. And especially if you have kids in the back and you're talking to someone and it's, how are people driving? That's why people get so irate in their cars because they're not going from zero to 10. They're going from seven to eight to nine to 10, right? And I think that young people, what's happening at home? What's happening in your head? What's your self-talk like? Who are your friends you're hanging out with? What kind of music are you listening to? All of these things adding up, you might be coming to school and looking like a seven, like I do look like when I'm driving a car, but you cut me off and it's bro we're about to come to blows at the stoplight, you know? So it's, I think it's helping kids figure out that front end stuff. Um, but in the moment it's, it is, I've found things like when you're talking to, say you're talking to a kid and they're really upset, sit down in front of them. So if you sit down, if a kid, like I, I was taught this, uh, by a friend of mine who worked in a juvenile detention center, um, student tried to fight her 
And she's like, so when they do that, I just sit down. I have a seat, whatever seat is near me, I just sit down. And kids calm down better. It is taking a breath, you, the teacher, taking a breath, squatting down next to a kid, sitting down next to a kid, and giving them 10 seconds, no matter what is going on in your classroom. And that can feel so long, but it can sometimes be just enough to take them to help that kid, like get catch their breath, basically Um, sending kids out of the classroom. But I find that works better when they have somewhere to go, something to do. They know what's going on. It is talking to parents and finding out like, like communicating with them, like what's been happening with their student and like, what what did they do at home? What have other teachers done in the past? What are best ways to, to deal with this? Because different students are going to be different. Um, but I think it's <clears throat> it's starting to try to, and Dr. Keisha does this in the video, it's starting to help kids get tools in their toolbox and being prepared, right? So that when it happens, you're not just like, ah, like it's it's important to know where that where that emotional first aid kit is. When you don't have the emotional first aid kit ready with all the things in it and something happens, you're like, where are the band-aids? We need gauze and hot water for some reason in the movies they always need. Have that emotional self-care thing. You being calm, you interacting with that student and walking them through the process of de-escalation because they cannot hear you. You cannot have one thing Dr. Keisha talks about is you cannot have a high level conversation with someone or a rational conversation rather with someone when they're in fight or flight, you need them to come down a few steps before you can rationalize with them. And so, yeah. Uh, All right. We'll take another one. Uh, Gian is asking, what do you think the art of having a calm composed voice, but avoiding to a monitor when teaching any tips on avoiding that? Uh, Man, it's a good question. I will sometimes do it where, so let me say this, Jim, no matter where my voice is, it is completely deliberate. So if I, I, cause I just have gotten to this place where like, I don't lose my cool in class. It's very, very infrequent that I lose my cool in class. Right. Um, and when I appear to be losing my cool, I am just, I'm acting right when I have to be really calm, sometimes I will let it, students know, do not let my voice like confuse you. I am doing everything I can right now to just be cool, but don't take my kindness for weakness. So it's, it's almost like, I mean, my mom used to do it like this where she would talk through her teeth, and knock it off right now. Um, and so I try not to do that. I just try to, uh, stay cool, stay calm. And then I let kids know that I'm being patient in this moment. Um, And if you have to raise your voice a little bit, or if you have to use a different tone, like go ahead and do it, man. I think that that is completely okay. It's nothing about like, it's, it's, but it's not losing it. Right. I don't get mad with my class and lose it. I get mad at my class and I let them know this, whoa, whatever we're doing right now, this is not okay. Do we understand what I'm saying right now? It's not okay for these four reasons. I'm going to tell you why, because you have to have a why for everything. <clears throat> and letting kids know that, like, you poke the bear too many times, it's going to growl and it's going to roar. Um, 
but you can't be the bear that bites kids. I think that's the point that I'm making. Um, but so what if I think you're in a different direction of what sure. he's asking. He's asking like he's trying to have like a calm, composed voice, but doesn't want to like get into the monotone kind of thing. And I like Maisha kind of answered it. She said like slight inflections of your that's voice is different saying. than yep. a monotone voice. Yeah. I think you can have like a a calm voice, but like having those inflections would be a way to like avoid you're still saying calm without avoiding like monotone and being mindful that being mindful of like so i'll tell you what you could do and this is super awkward but it's a good idea anyway one of my most favorite things about doing youtube is i used to try and record myself teaching and it just didn't ever work out sound like garbage so i never like you there have never been videos of me teaching because my camera would have to be in the back of the class i'm teaching in the front the audio is garbage so i've used that as b-roll but never as a video however in watching those back it's fascinating to see yourself teach, to see like, man, I really don't use as much. I'm not using as much body language as I wanted to. I'm not like moving around and, and, um, and using up the space as much as I could. I like that wasn't when I said that it wasn't the way I wanted it to. So you are literally watching yourself and then trying to figure out like tomorrow in the first five minutes, how can I be more dynamic? Um, and then practicing that. And so I think that that's cool to be able to, to do. And, um, and that is something that improved my practice pretty drastically. Um, okay. I'm going to answer another one because. Because we just, got all screwed up. In yeah, the and I want to say Amir is on here and he said he can't believe that you still have that uh, clipboard. Oh. I think when we, John Lopez asked, like, where, what's the story behind the clipboard? Amir Williams made this for me. Or, hey, he had it made for me. Um, and, uh, yeah, I still have it in my, in my – I had it in my classroom forever, but now it's in my office. Uh, okay, so Rebecca is up next um, asking, experience special education 25 years, but first year doing self-contained middle school, nine kids and four paras. I teach four subjects, three to four groups each, as well as toileting, changing – and uh, tube feedings. I'm burning myself out because there's so much to do. How can I simplify this? Rarely have full staff too. That um, is really hard because you're dealing with a lot of stuff. If you're in middle school and dealing with like toileting and changes and feeding tubes and like, or tube feeding, I'm not sure if it's the same thing. That's a lot. So. That's like way beyond regular teacher it is. Duties. So it should be even for a special education teacher. To me, it's like, why don't they have a nurse aide in there? I'm sure she would love that. But so that could be for a number of reasons, right? It could be because they just go like, "Don't bother Rebecca. Like she's she's got it. She's amazing. She's in there. She's got she got she's doing it all." Um, <clears throat> you need a CNA in there, not just a yeah, not just a para. You need paras. And the lead teacher and a CNA to do like two feedings and toileting and changes. Yep. Wow. So here's my answer for this then, Rebecca. Um, right? Yeah. <clears throat> it is get what you need and take what you need. So first, you have to become a master of your calendar with regards to the time that you are not contractually obligated to be at school. 
So if you feel like you're on the verge of burnout, you need to leave school as soon as school's done. I don't care if everything's finished. I don't care if all the grades are done. I don't care if you're ready for the next day. You will get, we get more done when we feel well, right? So when I feel burned out, when I feel tired, I scale back, right? I was telling um, a friend this the other day that like as a person of faith, um, it's, I think, and I'll share this because it meant so much to someone that I told them this the other day. As a person of faith, I have to look at the example of Jesus. And whenever Jesus was, Jesus was only, his ministry lasted about three years. That's it, right? So for the first 20 some years of his life, he was living life and getting ready for that. His, his mission, his, his actual ministry was about three years. Jesus healed a lot of people in, the, in that time. But if you look at the Bible, there is no one in the history of the Bible that took more naps than Jesus did. They are constantly talking about Jesus taking naps. They're in a boat. Jesus is in a boat in the middle of a storm, sleeping on a pillow. Like my man, he brought a pillow with him. And so, or found one, right? It wasn't just sleeping. He's also constantly leaving. The disciples don't know where he went because he's off praying, right? Now it could be argued how many more people could have been healed if Jesus wasn't out praying and taking naps all the time? Maybe, but I think Jesus is being an example for us. And that example is one to have boundaries and two is to tap back into your source. So you need to figure out what your source is. And then at the end of the school day, it is leaving and doing things for you, right? Not for your kids, not for your spouse. We're talking about seasons of burnout, right? This should be regular anyway, but in seasons of burnout, like, do you have a Sabbath? Do you have a day a week where it's just for you? What if Saturdays started looking like it was just stuff Rebecca loved to do? Maybe that's baking, going for hikes, petting your dog, playing pool, whatever it is, right? Like it's just a whole full day of pouring time into you. And that can look like family time and playing games and making a fire and eating popcorn and watching a movie. It's just a day of replenishment, right? The other thing is, so that's one is, is for me, it's looking at my example, realizing that replenishment is part of the game of being able to produce such work that I can't just give all the time. I have to replenish. And then the other thing is going to your administration and telling them, if you know what you need, letting them know, and then pushing back until they give it to you, right? I just, I think that that is, it is, schools oftentimes give us what they'll give us, and then they expect us to just take what we're given. And I'm not trying to take what I'm given. I'm trying to take what kids need, right? So it's not just about me, but if I know kids are getting a lesser version of me because there's too many things to do, kids are getting a lesser version of class because I am pulled to doing things that like I would imagine doing a changing or a feeding or something like that <clears throat> is pulling away from the educational experience of these other students. But if we had someone here to do that, it would allow me to do all this other stuff, right? So if we're going deeper into service, how can we meet the needs of other students? And if that is a money thing, y'all better find some money. Y'all better figure something out that like, we can cut the grass at the school every other week or something, some way, some shape or form. But this is what is needed. It is not a wish list. It's not what I'd like to have. If we are, in fact, in this for children 
and trying to serve them on the highest levels possible, right? We have to we have to dare to ask those questions, to push back, to ask and ask and ask and ask and ask. Try to find, like, try to find uh, money or go to a, a business that's going to that's donates to education. Try and find some way, shape, or form to get what you need. So I would say first is deep care for yourself. Second, it's you figuring out what the problem is, and if you have the capacity. Um, to figure out what the answer is and do not answer that question thinking on um, with a lack mindset. You have to think with an abundance mindset. What would it be awesome? Not what would get me through this year? What would stop me from literally turning to ash in front of my students? What would make this year friggin' awesome? And coming up with that solution and then how could we do that? How could we make this happen? Already, right? This will empower you because it gets you excited to think about what could be, what is, what's out there, what will be all, what, what would that allow me to do with these students? How much more stuff could we get through? How many more life skills could I teach? How many more kids could I have one to one time with when I'm not doing these seven other things that don't need me? They just need someone to do them. This part of the job needs me. That doesn't. And so it's trying to think of some of those things. This is another question I'd also ask in our Facebook group. Because I think community is going to help someone out there. Sometimes it takes too long to learn from experience. Um, so find somebody else that already has the answers you need uh, that might be teaching a similar class to you. And it's like, hey, look, this is what we did. This is how we got it funded. This is how we we were able to turn up the the the, the everything. We were able to take our class to the next level because we did this, this, and this. That might be a really good thing figure out too. All right, we're going to do one more real fast. Make go for it. Quick, uh, because poor Evan thinks that we skipped his question, but we go in order. And um, We have had so, 100 technical issues, which is I why know. we're both wearing one AirPod yeah. right now. This kind of show yeah. we're running right now. So we're going public school mode. Hit um, it. Evan's asking, oh, my uh, Evan's asking, uh, it, makes, it makes me really sad because I love my school and my subject, but I hate the job. And through prayer and discussion, I think I found it's not my calling. How to finish the year well. Um, so it is, since this is a question of faith, Evan, I think that, I think I'm trying not to, why do I do, I try to do everything I do with excellence and I don't always pull that off, right? Like sometimes I fall short of that, but my effort is to do everything with excellence. Why? because I want to represent Christ well. And so if I want to represent Jesus well in the, in the life and the work that I've been given to do in this season, even if it's not something that I don't want to do. So when I left the classroom several years ago, there's that, there's that like finishing out feeling that you have right now. Um, no one should get a lesser education or opportunity because I'm leaving. If anything, I can let that energize me to know it's like you see the finish line. So push through, do the best job that you can give those kids the best possible, like, cause too many teachers don't do that. Too many teachers are like, yo, I put in my two weeks or I, I'm out at the end of the year. Screw it, man. I'm not doing this. And instead I wanted to turn it up and I tried to make it the most awesome I could because I knew I was going on to something else, even though I was tired. Uh, 
because you don't, especially as a person of faith, you know that it's not just the food you eat and the sleep you're getting and, and the stuff you're doing that's going to energize you, right? Like you can, no, we're going to go straight Bible here. You pray for that Holy Spirit to intercede and to fill you up and to give you that energy that you need, to give you the ideas that you need, to give you that extra capacity and love and availability for those students to show up to be the best version of yourself that you can be because we want to represent Christ well in everything. And that requires us to do, I think, um, enter into everything we're doing with excellence, whether it's something that's for a very short season or something that's for, a, for an extended season. So I just want Pastor Reynolds there at the end there. All right. Well, we can end there, I think. Cool. Well, look, gang, um, you're going to get a, we're going to, we're doing another workshop. We're really trying to help people as much as humanly possible. And the way that we're trying to do that is by doing workshops. So there's going to be another workshop on it is the landing page is not out. So the sales page is not out yet. Um, still $39. We're trying to price it for teachers. If you cannot afford that. And I've been there, right? No shame in that game. You email us, DM us, message us on Facebook. Email is the best way to get it. Cause Ramina is going to get it right to me, but um, it is, you can have it for free. Like I, like I'm not trying to like, if I've been there, you're feel like your classroom is melting down and you need help reach out, let us know. Otherwise it's only 39 bucks. Um, and the, uh, and so, yeah, so that's the case. So th that'll be happening on February 29th. Um, and that's it. And that's going to be classroom management through the lens of student engagement. And again, I am going at this in a way that I've never gone at this before. And it's, uh, I hope that it's fantastic. So that's it, gang. We'll see you next week. Make sure you hit that like button if you didn't do it and hit the subscribe and all the other stuff and share this with somebody if they need it. Um, really love you guys. And I really mean that. And thanks so much for all the great work that you're doing and for being awesome people. Uh, we'll see you next week, gang.